Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. And as you guys know, on this show, we have today's game changers and thought leaders on this show. And today is no different. Get your pen and paper ready because my boy, my friend, my new friend, Andrew, is going to be dropping knowledge bombs. So, But first of all, I want to thank our sponsors, Mark Dudek of CSD Hardscaping. He is the man as far as he will fly from his home in Florida, come to your house, make your dream backyard, and then he will fly back home. And when you have when you have something done by his company, it is truly one of a kind and truly amazing. So check out Mark Dudek at CSD Hardscaping, and he's also a veteran-owned company. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. Uh, me and Andrew just hooked up a little while ago, and, and I'm so enamored with what he does because a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about, I have no idea what he, what it means. So I'm going to have a lot of questions. And Andrew Wang, thank you so much for hopping on, my friend. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's great to be on your show. Love what you're doing. Uh, you know, and I, now since I knew we were going to get together, I hopped on. I listened to as many podcasts that you're on, um, as many podcasts as you host, just to get a feel. So I hope I don't ask the same questions that everybody else asks, because I kind of pride myself on being the veteran Joe Rogan. So I, I want to ask the questions that probably nobody has ever asked you before. So how is right on today? What's that? How's your day going today? Oh, no complaints. No complaints. You know, I'm healthy. Family's good. Working. So now we I just uh, keep trying to do better today phone. than I did yesterday. I see you have a 973 phone number. So are you in Jersey? I am. You Me bet. too. We have to get together for lunch sometime. I look forward to that. Yeah, I would love to. What part of Jersey? Uh, I'm in Morristown. Okay, yeah. Actually, one of our I just went out to dinner with uh, one of the judges in in Morristown uh, the other night. So, Morristown, oh, nice. great great place. So, tell us a little bit about you know where you're originally from, and what kind of little boy was Andrew uh, when you were growing up. What kind of little boy, man? We're gonna go back. Uh... We're go hop- back some years. We're hopping uh, in the payback machine. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was born in uh, New York, but I grew up in New Jersey since I was a year old. And uh, where did you grow up? What town? I grew up in the town of Chatham, New Jersey. Oh, nice area. Yeah, very nice area. Good schools. Um, you know, suburb of New York. So. Uh, my dad was commuting into New York City along with uh, many of the other parents in my town. And, you know, I, I was like a pretty quiet kid. I think um, did OK in school, didn't get into trouble, but I was a pretty shy kid. Now, uh, were you good in school? Yeah, uh, you know, school school always came pretty easy. It's It's like while you're in it, you don't. I don't know. I didn't really realize that I was a good student or bad student. I, I was just a student, right? When when I'm in there, but um, probably I think my eighth grade English teacher 
so this is like right before going into high school, my eighth grade English teacher said, you know what, you should really be like in the honors English class because I think this is too easy for you. And it wasn't until then that it kind of dawned on me a little bit that I was doing okay in school, but um, I don't know. I, I didn't study that hard. So I guess I was lucky in that sense. Now, well, where is your family, uh, your mom and dad originally from? Um, my dad is from mainland China. He was born in Chongqing, China, and came to the United States when he was about 13 years old. Uh, so that's a pretty interesting story. My mom was born in Oakland, California, and um, grew up in Colorado Springs. Wow. Uh, before, going, before going back to Hong Kong for high school, where her family's from. So she kind of uh, did like the reverse. She was born in the U.S., grew up here, went back to Hong Kong for high school, and then came back to the U.S. for college. So, um, you know, interesting, interesting experiences. Wow, talk about total culture, culture changing, you know? <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Now, I got to ask because, you know, I've had a lot of people on my show now. This is like 200th interview. Um, and a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, that are from like, you know, China or, you know, even like India, they really uh, hunker down on education and they put education to the forefront. Uh, why do you think that is, you know, compared to like a lot, like, like, like uh, my, my daughter, she just had to do a, um, a pen pal and she was talking to a, a child in, in uh, I think, I think it was China. And, you know, and the child was talking about how much that sometimes they, I think they have six days of school instead of set, you know, instead of five, like we have here. So why do you, yeah, that's true. So why do you think they push education so much more than I, I think they do in the United States? Yeah, I have two answers for that. I mean, one is it's part of like an immigrant mentality, people who come to the United States, education is like one ticket to, a better life. You know, you go to school, you get good grades, and then you should be able to go on and get a better job. So that's one. If you go further back for Asia, like China specifically, like you go back to a time of emperors and I'm sure you've heard of Confucius. Like mm -hmm. Confucianism was very much about like studying and getting good grades and having like a meritocracy where when you studied and got good grades, that's how you were elevating your status in society. So like kind of terrible, like testing, <laughs> you know, like a lot of pressure where one has to study their butt off And this. I mean, this goes way, way back. Um, but by passing certain exams, it's like you would command a certain level in society and you could be a scholar and people would respect you. So that, that, was, that was something important. And even today, right, in modern society in China, there is a very high regard to teachers. Like teachers have a very high status and students respect them. And even once you're out of school, you know, teachers are pretty highly regarded. Okay, so now what kind of kid were you when you hit high school? Were you now? Were you, did you play any sports or anything? Uh, I played tennis. Um, does that count? 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you, you know, a lot of people like say, yeah, it was tennis is in the sport until you watch one of those, you know, Wimbledon's where it's like a five hour marathon. You're like, that's definitely a sport. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I never played like uh, Rafael Nadal or uh, Federer, but yeah, I, I played, um, I enjoyed tennis like seventh grade, eighth grade, and and played played through high school. So that was good. Now, because um, but, such great grades, and you know, since you were um, more scholarly than athletically, um, did you get any um, scholarships to go to college? Uh, I did not get any scholarships. Um, yeah, my dad worked at a bank and and had a good career. So I think like the financial need wasn't there. Okay. And thankfully when I went to college, it was not nearly as expensive it is to, <laughs> as it is today. So that helped too. Now, what college did you go to? I went to Trinity college in Hartford, Connecticut. That's a great school too. That's another great school. So yeah, good school. Good what school. Did, what did you major in? I majored in international studies, which was interdisciplinary. So <laughs> I took Mandarin, Chinese as a language. I studied history, political science, art. Um, Trinity is a liberal arts college. So, you know, you study a little bit of everything and hope that you can get a job when you get out. Yeah, my son going to Coastal Carolina and he wants to be a marine biologist, but his he got his mother's brains. Thank God. Um, <laughs> but uh, she he uh, it's a liberal arts school. So, we you know, we see a lot of that, you know of people getting degrees in like philosophy and i'm like what are you going to do with a philosophy degree you know yeah you know i, I think not it's good to be well-rounded right it's good to be well-rounded and to have this kind of broad knowledge in different places but it's true when you get out and you're trying to enter the workforce and you're going out on interviews i mean you get a lot of so what are you qualified to do and you kind of have to get around that i mean once you get through that then you're you're off and running but uh at the start yeah it's a little bit of a struggle and i think that it it dates back to the days when very wealthy people went to college and got a liberal arts education they didn't even really need to work so that's a whole nother conversation you know that's my thinking that today people should be trained i think for more practical reasons it's like you should be trained so that you can get a job I agree. And, you know, because like and I've heard that 80 percent of the people when they graduate college within three years, they're not in the field that they went to college for. So for some reason, sometimes it's just it's a very expensive piece of paper. For, you know, yeah. I mean, I think it's more, more for the experience than it is. And it's getting more expensive every day. That's the scary part. Yeah. Like we're paying, I think, like almost three thousand dollars a month something like that for my kid to go to school and i'm like wow i could be driving a really really nice car for three grand exactly yeah over you know it gets tougher and tougher to rationalize i don't know what's going to happen when my kids are ready to go to college but you know in this in this like information age where you've got internet and you've got so much information at your fingertips you can get a pretty darn good education for free if you want to yeah, definitely. So now what did you, what was your first job out of college? My first job, uh, it was at a bank. I worked at a bank. Actually, I went up to Boston. My, my wife and I moved to Boston and 
tried to get work. Please don't tell me uh, a Red Sox fan. A Red Sox fan? Yeah. No, I grew up in New Jersey. So um, Mets. We have a history of Mets fans in our family. So all right, guys, we gotta go. This that, is the great that's just a that's just like a rough place to be because you know it's been tough ever since like 1986. Yeah, my wife's a Mets fan. <laughs> we crack each other all the time. So how you know how is it you know because now you know you're what 22 maybe 23 getting out of college and now you're starting in the banking industry. How how did that how was that for the first couple of years? Uh, kind of unexciting, but good experience. I mean. I remember I, thinking back to those days, I was I was living in Brighton, Massachusetts, which is situated between Boston College and Boston University. And, you know, being like freshly out of college, I would go I would go to B.C. I'd go to Boston College and go into their like career counseling office, even though I didn't go to B.C. But I look like a student. So you just walk in and you go through the binders and you apply to jobs. And yeah, I think working at a bank was, you learn, like I was sort of working with people that were older than me. You're like the new guy, the young guy, and just kind of learning how a larger organization works. Um, so yeah, good experience. You know, I, I, I have fond memories of working with the people who I worked with. I've lost touch with them, but you, you're just hungry for learning, right? You jump into a job and you're, you're not doing anything that's like brain surgery you're <laughs> you're like typing data into a really really old computer um but you know i i learned about um people who were coming into the bank to pick up their dividend checks at the end of the week and uh you know kind of kind of saw like how the bank customers the savers how they're saving their money that was kind of interesting and you know, like I, uh, this this is way before I started my podcast, but I was actually playing poker one night with a, with a billionaire, and uh, and you know a lot of people, you know, they would talk to him, they would kiss up to him, whatever. But we were playing poker, so it was just like two guys hanging out, you know. And I said, you know, I said, you know, Rich, you know, what's the difference between a poor person and a rich person? And he said, the only difference between a poor person. And, and a rich person is their vocabulary. And I didn't understand what he meant. And just like you were talking about, poor people don't really talk about dividends. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't talk about um, certain, you know, certain a lot of different financial terms. So the more your vocabulary expands and the more you become more financial literate, you know, the more the kind of the world opens up to you and the more things you learn. So obviously, you know, when you're learning all these new terms and you're learning, okay, this is how the rich people, this is how people that have money, this is how they, they do things. And, you know, like most people don't realize that the most, that the average millionaire drives a late model car. They don't drive these hot, fancy cars because they rather go home to their million dollar home than spend it on a a car that's going to depreciate in value. And, you know, and poor people don't really know about depreciation, appreciation. So was that interesting for you to learn or be, or because you heard of a lot of it because your dad was in the business at home? <laughs> yeah, it was a combo. I mean, 
I think when you're out in the world and you're out on your own, you're kind of learning in a, I think like that's real world learning, but you're right. I grew up in a family that my dad was director of research at the bank of New York. My mom was a stockbroker at Merrill Lynch for like several years when she went back to work. So I grew up in a family where at the dinner table, it was not uncommon to be talking about company earnings or return on equity, which I think is not typical. Yeah. And I love that, you know, cause like a lot of times, like, you know, I'll, I'll be talking to potential business owners and I'll be like, you know, so what is your ROI? And they'll be like, what does that mean? And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, we need to start taking some financial literacy courses before you start in business or it's going to be a long road. Well, that's a challenge because uh, most of us don't learn personal finance in school, unfortunately, but you're onto something with the language. I mean, it's, it's like learning the language. If you remember the movie, um, catch me if you can Leonardo DiCaprio. Yep. That's a, that's the story about Frank Abagnale, mm -hmm. like Frank Abagnale in real life, that the character that, uh, that Leonardo was playing. I mean, that guy, he, 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 like he passed as a pilot and then a doctor and a lawyer. That was all about learning the language because he didn't go to medical school or law school or get like trained as a pilot. But you know, as like a con man, he passed us all those things. Yeah, because there's certain, you know, every whatever, you know, like even being a podcaster, you know, we all have certain terms that we use, SEO, stuff like that, to where the average person doesn't know what that means. So there's certain buzzwords I'm sure that you can use in any profession to kind of just skate by and people are like, oh, I guess he knows a buzz buzzword. So I guess I guess he can just skate by and get through. So how did you become the man that you are today with you know being so being on Forbes and being magazines and having all these acclaims and po top podcasts how did that all become about uh it's just a long process i mean part of it is that i was born into a family that you know like my dad was um uh, was an analyst he's a money manager um my mom was a stockbroker. I eventually, after living in Boston, I returned back to New Jersey and joined my dad. So I've been working with my dad for over 20 years now. And we, we manage clients' money. Um, so, gosh, it's like a 25-year process <laughs> where I'm learning every day. And, and uh, I got to say that since I joined my dad in 1998, I mean, the cycles have been pretty extreme. I joined him during like what was the Asian crisis and long-term capital hedge fund had blown up and Asia was in this pretty severe recession, although it was short-lived. But, you know, I, I saw booms and busts like in a very concentrated period of time, like within my first year of working with my dad and not first year, but First few years of working with my, with my dad, I saw the Asian crisis, kind of a recovery. I saw the internet bubble, so technology bubble, where companies that had little to no business plan and definitely the more money they were losing, 
the higher their stock price went. And we as analysts, that just didn't make sense to us. But in the short term, I mean, there was just like a frenzy going on. That was the period when taxi drivers were, you know, trading because they could make more in the stock market buying Yahoo or eBay than driving taxi fares. And then that blew. And then, of course, since then, I've seen the financial crisis. We've just seen like a lot of extreme uh, environment uh, since I guess you learn a lot. I have more gray hair now. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> gray, so I I totally get it. Now, you know, a lot of people are listening to this. You know, they were in the military. You know, and when you're in the military, um, or even in high school, well, my son they take home ec now, but they, you know, they teach you some of the things about finance. You know, but a lot of times, like in the military, if you write a bad check, you know, you'll get locked up and you're going to go to jail but they don't tell you how to write a good check. You know, nobody talks to a lot of young people about, you know, having a, how to have a bank account, you know, the basics that you need to survive. I don't think Mm -hmm. they're really being taught, you know, because a lot of times, you know, as soon as a college freshman gets into college, first thing they do, they get a credit card offer in the mail. And then people don't realize that once you, like if you start out with with a visa card, ninety nine percent of the time for the rest of your life you're going to have a visa card, and you're going to be in financial debt. So talk to us about some of the basic financial things that you see that people are not getting a grasp of, grasp of, especially in this day and age where you can go on Amazon and order something and it could be there the next day, and a lot of people are getting thousands and thousands of dollars in debt. So talk to us a little bit about the basics of finances that people can use by listening to our show. Well, first, thank you, Rick, for for your service. And thank you to all the listeners out there who are veterans or in active um, you know, military. Uh, you guys do great work, and I really appreciate that. I, I think that kind of what I'm hearing you alluding to is that it's just very easy to spend money today. And well, yeah, because like you said, I can go on Amazon and I'm saying if I'm searching for a T-shirt, all of a sudden, right. you know, all of a sudden I got track shoes, I got pants, I got a hat, I got a jacket. And it's 300 hours later because all you're doing is clicking buttons, you know, exactly. It's one click and Amazon keeps making it easier. Yeah. It's like you could have a subscription. It's like automatic buy. Yeah. Um, so I think in that in that sense, you know, people. It's, it, I think you just need to be more thoughtful, right? The personal finance experts like to talk about um, drafting a budget and making a plan. And I think that that is important, but it's also kind of intimidating. Like it, it's hard for many people to sit down and write a budget and say, well, how much should I spend? It doesn't sound fun. Uh, but I think a great starting point is just tracking your spending because most of us know how much we make in our job, but too many people don't know where does the money go over the course of the month. And if you just track for one month, you know, where does your spending go? It, it gives you a lot of insight. And tracking is not as intimidating as trying to create the budget and how much should you be spending. So don't even go there yet. Just track how you're spending and 
the three or four, well, I would say the three biggest categories are going to be your housing, your transportation, and your food. That typically takes up about 64% of most household budgets. So you get those three big ones and you're, you've done like the majority of the work already. Then the rest is just kind of little stuff. And I think as, as, as people, we can't help once you're paying attention then you start becoming more thoughtful, really without much effort, because you take a look at the first month that you tracked. And if you do it for a second month, you start comparing and say, well, what did I do differently this month than last month? And you kind of start seeing some patterns and you say, all right, well, maybe I'm eating out too much. I don't need to buy lunch every day when I go to go to work. Maybe if I bring a sandwich a couple times, uh, I can make it an impact. And um, you just start making little improvements there. And one of the things that I like, since we're talking about like the ease of buying online, and it's just like, there's not enough friction. People are like, the more friction you can add into your like buying process, the better. So can you explain that friction? Yeah, you know, it's like, um, sometimes people will have like, a bank account or like, uh, I'll give you an extreme example. I, I know a girl who she was, she felt like she was spending too much. So she opened up an account with a credit union that was like in Tennessee, but she lived in New York city and she could deposit her money very easily, but to take money out, it became like a little bit difficult, not terrible, but it wasn't super easy. And that's what I'm talking about. Like she added friction into, it was easy for her to deposit her paycheck, but for her to take money out, she added steps where it wasn't so simple. And, you know, by doing that, she started saving more because um, she was just trying to make it more difficult for herself to spend and make it easier to save. Wow. Like, I mean, I, I could, I, I guess I could see how that that would become difficult, but I guess whatever works, whatever works in that situation, then, you know, yeah, kind of, you... kind of an extreme example, but it's like, how do you, how do you add friction to, to counteract Amazon so that you can, so you're not spending um, so freely, you know, and now I have a question, you know, because I heard a stat the, the other day that the average person can't write out a check for $600 because they don't have the money in their savings accounts. Why mm -hmm. do you, you know, at, at one point we were a saving nation and now we're, you know, not in the saving, saving nation anymore. But now I yeah. was in clubhouse. I was in a room uh, about 15, 20 minutes ago and people were talking about what they were doing with their stimulus checks. And 80% of the people said, you know what, I'm just going to keep it in the bank and save it. So do you think mm -hmm. we're, we're starting to switch back into saving mo savings mode again? It's hard to tell. I mean, we're coming off of this really unusual period. None of us had ever lived through a global pandemic before. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if that has some impact on our saving for a rainy day, right? Suddenly it gave us perspective, like a rainy day can look a lot different than we ever thought possible. We never, we never expected that we'd be sitting inside our houses for like a year and not going out too much. 
Um, the benefit, I guess the silver lining there is that uh, many people have been saving because you're just going out less. In a lot of the restaurants that you would have frequented for a while, they were closed. Especially. But. Especially, yeah, go ahead. Especially in New Jersey, you know, like we just we just got in up to 50 percent last Friday. So a lot of a lot of businesses, you know, they had to go out of business. So now, you know, how do how does a person you know, like say, you know, if you had a, a a restaurant, and all of a sudden you lose everything, how do you start to call back out of that that hole financially? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I, I I feel for all the business owners on Main Street everywhere, right? Main Street USA, all the restaurants, all the little shops. Um, it's been a very challenging time, and at best they've been able to pivot and communities have tried to support local business owners, um, you know, ordering takeout and things like that. But it's, it's just not quite the same as having the dining room open, but you know, part of your part, the answer to part of your question is the saving. I mean, it's kind of cultural. I mean, in the United States, we haven't been good savers for a long time and we're not given much incentive to save either. Um, you know, interest rates in, at the bank are so low. Like, even if you have cash in your bank, you're getting 0.001%. Uh, you're just not being, you're, you're not getting much interest. Like, what incentive is there to save? And then you go to the store and they're offering you 0% down for 12 months or for 24 months, you don't have to pay. Um, it, it's a little bit crazy, right? I, I guess it's it's part of this sort of consumer economy um, that and that mentality where we just want to spend what we have. And that that's in contrast to many Asian countries where I think because they don't have the uh, you know, the, the, they don't have the safety net of social security or even some like healthcare, like insurance, things like that. So, so in India or China, you have a lot of countries where people have to save for a rainy day and for retirement. Um, so it, like I said, it'll be interesting to see what's lasting coming out of the pandemic as, as life returns to normal, um, I don't know when that will happen exactly, but I think that a reopening is coming and uh, we all look forward to going out and even getting on an airplane to visit family and friends to take a trip. Um, So we'll see what's lasting as far as savings goes, but you know, the, the, the best practice is one should have an emergency fund and that's, that's super important because there are always unforeseen expenses and anyone who has a, has a, anyone who has an old car knows that all too well. Yeah. Or a house, you know, the yeah. house can be the money pit, you know, a new, yeah. you know, if a new roof goes, you know, you're looking at like 10 grand, you know? So now I got to talk, exactly. you mentioned the mindset, you know, cause I, I have a lot of friends that are from the Asian community. My best friend is, is, his family's from um, India and I've noticed, you know, especially a, a lot of the Spanish populations, you know, they'll 
come to America, you know, they'll buy a they'll they'll buy a house. They'll all live in that house, and they will save and save and save, and then start businesses. Where in America, it's kind of like okay, I'm gonna stay in my house until the first opportunity I get to go out, and I'm gonna buy a house instead of trying to start a business in order to buy a house. So what 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 do you think causes that 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 mindset, the differences between those cultures and the American culture? Yeah, I think that that that, that does go back to like what is one's philosophy about saving and and debt. Um I I think that you know it, it's hard to stereotype, but you know generally it's like okay in America, I turned 18 or I turned 21. I want to go out on my own. I want to get my own place. Uh, and you're kind of contrasting that against someone who wants to save up their money, start a business. And that's probably one of the biggest opportunities in America still. Um, there aren't too many places where you can save on taxes, but starting a business, you do have some benefits. Um, you know, you can, you get some tax break on your expenses and you have an opportunity to build something, to create something where you can actually grow your wealth. Yeah. And, um, you know, we see that happening every day. That's why people still want to come to our country from other places in the world. It's for that American dream. Okay. So now I got a question to ask, cause you know, especially, you know, you're in the financial uh, world and now like you said, you know, the cycle changes so quick in, in the, in the new cycle and everything is every email I get, every other email is Bitcoin cryptocurrency. And what are your thoughts on that? Cause I know a lot of people, Oh, they're just buying this. And I'm like, you don't know where it's going to go. You know, you're, you're doing, you know, just shooting blanks in the dark. What are your thoughts? <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's because it's the the cool thing now but it's like well you're buying something that you can't even hold well, i guess you can't hold money anymore because everything is done electronically <laughs> but what are your thoughts on the whole you know cryptocurrency thing going on now yeah crypto is a tough one um i think that like you study it as kind of a student from the outside and try to understand and it is super unique that you have this electronic currency you have this digital currency that is not tied to a specific government so it's not really controlled it's very decentralized and blockchain is super interesting in that you have this like independent verification system uh, through this ledger that gets verified from different servers all over the world all of that's really cool and the challenge is that there's so many cryptocurrencies, you don't know which one is going to be the winner or which one's going to be here 25 years from now. Bitcoin appears to be, you know, be based on volume and its use by even US corporations today. It looks pretty solid that it's going to be here uh, to stay. But I think that as a as a store of value, right? Because that's what 
currency ultimately is, as long as people recognize uh, Bitcoin or other cryptos to have value, then it's there's some validity there. Um, it's no different from like back in ancient times and you know you forge some coins or you use some shells or something. As long as other people recognize the value, then it's going to work. You can use it to um, you know purchase goods and services. But I think one of the challenges is that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin is so volatile in its pricing. And it's very difficult for anyone to really forecast where is the price going to be next week or where is the price going to be in a month. Um, but that said, I mean, fortunes have been made and especially by those who bought in early and they, they believe that it's going to grow in adoption and use. And the longer they hold it, it's going to increase in value because there's a there's like a fixed amount available. Um, it, it, it gets really interesting. But, you know, I, I, I don't tell people to not buy crypto, but I would advise people not to put too much into it. Like diversification is like a way to, to achieve like some level of safety. So, um, you know, one, I would say, save $1,000 for your emergency fund, pay off your debts. When you're ready to invest, I think that it's okay to own like the S&P 500. That's pretty plain vanilla, but over time, the companies in the S&P 500, that's 500 companies, those companies are growing their earnings. And because of that, the stock prices should follow. And you hold that for a long time and you've got appreciation. If you want diversification, you own a little bit of crypto, you own some real estate, and that's how you're trying to build a portfolio that's going to grow in value while you're sleeping. Yeah, okay, so I, you know, I and I truly believe that what, what you're saying. Now, you have your own podcast. What is the name of your podcast? My podcast is Inspired Money. So, I'm trying to have positive money conversations. My belief is that most of us growing up, we don't talk about money enough. It's either a taboo subject or when we do talk about money, it's not really in a positive light. So since I'm a financial advisor by day, uh, I figured it, it's kind of a fun way to explore conversations with all kinds of guests since we all, all deal with money, uh, no matter what it is that we do or who we are so i've talked to actors i've talked to musicians i've talked to business people i've talked to personal finance experts and and uh you know just try to show that when you have like a a more positive view on money then it increases the likelihood that you're going to look at your 401k statement and pay attention to it yeah and i, and I you know I, I come from an italian background where you never talked about money at the kitchen table. It was just, it was like a, it was a taboo subject. So, you know, I never realized, you know, how, how important it is to have a savings or have good credit until I got older and met my wife and she's the, the queen of finance in our house. And she's amazing. Um, when I moved to New Jersey, I had a credit score of 400 and now I'm at like 830 or 840 or something stupid. And yeah, it goes to show that it often takes a team. Yeah. Oh, and, takes a good teammate and she's the best teammate in the world she's my bride so what are your top three topics that 
come up on your podcast at all the time, all the time? Uh, some of the recurring themes are, well, I guess, but there's like a bias for me to talk to people who have already succeeded. So that's not always the case, but because of that, it, it just becomes evident that people who did very well, it's like money was important to them, but that's not like their primary focus that hadn't been their primary focus throughout their career. Um, you know, it, it was something bigger than themselves and trying to find a purpose and something that they were passionate about. And when you're fortunate to be in that position where you feel like you're doing something purposeful and that aligns with your interests, your talents, your skills, the money's kind of a byproduct. Um, you know, like the money comes as part of that. So, you know, it's, it's like trying to f- figure out what is it that you were put on this earth to do? And can you monetize that? If you can, then that's like a, you're on a good path to like financial independence and happiness. Uh, two very important things. You know, I, I love that. And, you know, and I've talked to several seven or eight figure earners and something that came up a couple of times was, you know, I've been broke a few times but I never been poor because poor is a mentality, and, mm-hmm. which is a pretty interesting when you think about that, you know, a person that, you know, thinks positively about money, you know, like, like a guy named, um, first guy I ever learned about finances was, was, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, you know, he, never yep. Rich dad, poor dad. and I, that book changed my life, my thought processes to where, you know, I never think, um, I can't afford that, you know, but now I think, you know, how can I afford that? So can you talk to difference? Cause I, I'm sure you've talked to so many people that have, like you said, you know, have made it um, probably some people that have lost it and then made it back again. What is the difference be- between having a, a rich mentality? I mean, a poor mentality and a wealth mentality. I think that, you know, part of it is that mentality um if if you are if if you're poor and you just never your brain is never even thinking about how can you um you know you're just like surviving you're just trying to put food on the table and you're trying to make enough money to pay the bills you know you're doing everything that you can and sometimes that's not even a mentality problem it's just you're so busy just trying to make this month's rent that you don't have the freedom or time to think creatively and how can you like find opportunities that just like have leverage that you can make more without spending more time you know like trading hours for dollars you're kind of like you're maxing out what you can in in time but you're just not making enough i think that you do need some time it takes some luck i would say that you know one of the consistent things is that it does require some discipline like you need to figure out when you do make money what are you doing with any excess cash and are you investing that what are what are different ways for you to make your money work for you and to understand risk um 
you know, I think that there's a temptation often to go for a long shot and you feel like, all right, I'm, I'm going to make this bet, but I can, I can make a lot in return. Usually that promise of getting a lot in return is because the risk is super high and it's unfortunate, but you see a lot of people who don't have a lot of money and they kind of get scammed into these, you know, different investments that are not good investments because, because of the promise of I, I'm trying to go for a home run. So I, I think it's more like the thing about personal finance is that it doesn't have to be super complicated. My, my industry, the financial services industry loves to create very complex products. You mentioned the language likes to have language that's confusing but I think that most people, if you're working a job and you have a 401k plan, if your employer offers you a retirement plan, just participating in that plan and having a certain percentage of your paycheck coming out and going into your retirement investments every pay period, like that kind of discipline, it, it, the reward is huge. And the, it, I think that it doesn't sound that sexy. It's like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm doing like a 5% contribution to my 401k. My company matches 3%. So that's like free money. But the key is like that discipline to, to sign up for the plan, to take a look at your statement so that you can see how is it doing. And I think that once you get some positive reinforcement, like you see your, retirement plan growing um you know hopefully that gives you some knowledge and some confidence to say all right whenever i get a raise whenever i can up my contribution i'm going to do that and that's the magic of compounding i mean your money has two best friends it's it's time and compound growth so the earlier you get started it's meaningful by the time that you retire it can grow into something much, much larger. Wow, I love that that two friends quote. I think I might actually have to use that as the uh, the, the title of this of this. Uh, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, and like you said, it's not really sexy. It's like, ooh, I got a four hundred one k, you know. But when thirty years later, when you're looking at a million dollars in your four hundred one k, it's sexy as hell. You know what I'm trying to? Yeah, I, yeah, I, right. I mean, if, if you're comparing like A versus B, like. You might have friends who are talking about crypto or Bitcoin and saying, hey, look, Bitcoin went up 50%. You should buy some Bitcoin. And, you know, there may be some opportunity there, but Bitcoin can also get cut in half also. Um, so as many of fortunes have been made in crypto, if your timing's not good, there are people who have lost a lot of money too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like try to do different things. But don't go chasing after the quick money. Um, I, I find that investing is kind of like um, watching a tree grow, usually. Um, you know, you try watering a tree and you look at it and you're like, I don't know, it doesn't look like it's doing anything. But you do that with your retirement plan. Over 30 years, that grows into a darn big yeah. tree. Unless and, uh, you know, don't get distracted by the noise along the way. Unless it's bamboo, because that stuff just grows bad, fast and bad and big. Yeah, it grows like right, a weed. A, That's strong stuff, too. I got too. a personal question to ask you. Um, yeah, and I would be um, remiss if I didn't ask. 
um, because, you know, I started studying you and everything you do. And on your Facebook profile page, it says Stop Asian Hate. And I just wanted to give you a little little platform on here to uh, what that means to you and uh, why now it's becoming so important. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think that Asians in this country, like any other minority group, you know, there are times when you're made to feel like a foreigner, that you don't belong here. I mean, I was born in this country. I, I'm a proud American. But, you know, it's little things. It's like the question, where are you from? Like, I get that a lot. And do they want to hear that I'm from New Jersey or do they want to hear that I'm Chinese American? I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the reason why I have that on Facebook is, uh, you know, the shooting in Atlanta that was many Asian women who were, uh, who were shot and killed. And that's why it's in the headlines and national media. And uh, there has just been a rising number of, aggression against Asian Americans in this, um, you know, COVID world because of Wuhan, China mm -hmm. and the politics. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I've just witnessed you're seeing more and more kind of hate crimes targeted at Asians. And unfortunately, that includes senior citizens who are just walking down the street. Um, We've seen that in California. We've seen that in New York City. I mean, you have like a 80-year-old Asian man or woman walking down the street and they just get sucker punched. Um, yeah, so that's why that's why the stop Asian hate hashtag, that's what it's okay. all about. It's, like, um, you know, we all have to treat each other better. We have to understand one another and respect one another. And um, sadly, we're just seeing more instances of like hate and aggression you know and i guess i have a whole totally different perspective because um you know i was in the military for over 23 years and i don't see color i don't see race it's just andrew is andrew you know i don't i for me it's like you know like my best friend is a police officer and and he's a colored guy. And one of my one of the my customers came into the store one day. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, you know so and so." And he said his first name. And I was like, "Yeah." I and he goes, "Yeah, you know, you know the black guy." And I'm like, "I never thought of him as the black guy. <laughs> he's just my best friend Joe." You know what I'm saying? So I get don't understand yep. the whole because everybody in the military was green. You know, it doesn't matter who you're, you know, we all went by our last names. So I just don't yeah, I like get that. it. But I, I totally understand that we have to start uh, spreading the love and, and, and actually come together as a nation. But now, last two questions, because I know you have a busy day and you got a beautiful family you might want to hang out with on a beautiful day instead of hanging out with this old guy here. Um, how do we find you and how do we find your podcast? And if somebody, you know, wants to wants to get involved and tell us about the, the running me capital management. OK, sure. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, people can find me at inspiredmoney.fm. That that's where you can find my podcast and see the guests who I've spoken with and uh, learn a little bit about the show. 
I've also been doing more on YouTube. So there is a, a YouTube inspired money channel trying to do more videos for those who like to watch the, the interviews instead of just listening. Uh, Running Mead Capital Management. If you go to inspiredmoney.fm, that will also take you to our Running Mead site. And we are fee only uh, financial advisors. We help families and corporations to do financial planning and manage their money. And I think that the key, the key term there is fee only. Um, we're never paid a commission. So we really sit on the same side of the table as our clients. Uh, there's no, there's no um, conflict of interest where we're trying to sell one product over another because one pays us better. Uh, we charge a fee and then we can be very objective in, in helping and advising our clients and in, in what they should own. Uh, to achieve their financial goals. Okay, so last question I ask everybody, and I love asking this question because, you know, I ask 100 people, I get 100 different answers. Um, you know, we live in a very crazy world. Like two of our children are being homeschooled. A, lo a lot of grandparents are homeschooling kids, which they never thought they would happen. Um, so we live in a crazy world. And if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I tell a person you know i want you to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours they're more likely so if somebody is struggling financially what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to right the ship i think they should just start tracking how they're spending their money i think that that's the that's a, just a great first step see where the money is going and um you it's very difficult not to start, you know, naturally figuring out, oh, well, if this is where my money is going, you know that you can do better. It's even like you're not even making a lot of effort, but naturally you're, you're starting to right the ship because you're identifying uh, spending patterns. And um, that's something that we can all do. Now, is there like an, uh, an uh, app or something that they can start tracking their, their finances? Yeah, you know, everybody's different. There are apps. Um, I know that Mint is one. Uh, there's one, shoot, it's like Y-A-N-B or something like that. Um, yeah, if you, if you search your app store for budgeting, uh, you're going to find apps. There's another company that if you like spreadsheets, you can create your own spreadsheet. Uh, it's called Tiller Money is the company. But you can create spreadsheets and automatically connect it to your bank and credit card so that all the data pulls in. Um, that's kind of like kind of the low tech way. But there are many, many people who still like their spreadsheets. And the beauty that's is that wife, you can customize it any way you want. She has a spreadsheet for her spreadsheets. So that's how she does all of our finances. So I definitely yeah. agree with that. And with Tiller Money, it's not a, it, you know, it's not like a very expensive service, but it makes it much easier because you can pull in uh, data from your different financial institutions. Okay. Now I love that. Now I was just about to say goodbye. And then I looked over at my guitar and I was like, wait a minute. Okay. I got to ask him about the Hawaiian <laughs> guitar. Cause I think that is so cool. Talk to us about that for a couple of seconds. I just, I just think that's a great part. And that's what actually makes you human. Cause most people would be like Hawaiian guitar. What? So talk to us about that. Oh my gosh, I could talk all day. My wife was born and raised in Hawaii. So through visiting her family, 
I fell in love with Hawaiian music and culture and, uh, you know, very, very slow process. I would actually on visiting, on visiting trips out to family out in Hawaii, I would make it a point to like, try to seek out these like Hawaiian master musicians who were like 80 years old or 75 years old and, you know, may not be around much longer um, to see if I could learn something from them. So in the course of like 20 years, slowly started getting better at Hawaiian music. And because there aren't a lot of Hawaiian musicians here on the East coast, I find myself on these crazy adventures. Uh, I never, I never aspire to play outside my living room. This is just music that I really enjoy and it's good to relax and sort of unwind from a day's work with the, with an acoustic guitar and you, you play uh, Hawaiian, Hawaiian slack key guitar is just, uh, you loosen the strings. It's a lot of open tunings, but I've played at people's weddings. I've played at corporate events. Um, I've, I've played like for celebrities. It, it's crazy. The, the adventures that I've gone on just because of Hawaiian music um, blows my mind. Well, I'm glad that you shared that with me because now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the world's worst guitar player. So uh, I'm actually going to have to start looking up some Hawaiian music and maybe, maybe <laughs> play a little bit. So me and you can get together and just sit down with a couple acoustics, sit in the backyard over a fire pit and hang out sometime. So guys, if that, you listen, that'd be, that'd be awesome guys if you enjoyed this episode please leave a comment we're on all social media and, and please leave a comment on um on apple especially and you know for if you've learned anything or if you'd like to hear anything else in the future definitely check out andrew's podcast go to inspiredmoney.fm check out his hawaiian music at andywangmusic.com and uh, like I said, I'm so grateful that you took the time to hang out with us today, brother. And I appreciate you. Um, I consider you a friend and a family member now. Now uh, you're a Jersey boy that I know done good. So now we'll definitely have to hang out and get together. I look forward to that. And and yeah, right back at you. The the admiration is returned. And, you know, don't don't try to be Joe Rogan. You don't need to do no. that. You just be Richard Kaufman. Yeah, I get it. I and, so keep up the great work. All right, my friend. Well, have a got have a great day and God bless you and the family. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Bye, you brother. too. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.